Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14 through 21, as uh, Brother Darrell mentioned earlier, this is a prayer. This is a prayer that uh, Paul, as he's writing to the church in Ephesus, he, he breaks into prayer, uh, he breaks into psalm, uh, he really breaks into praise, uh, is a, what this is. Uh, he begins with a prayer, and he's not necessarily uh, praying the prayer, but he tells them what his prayer is. Uh, it, would, it would do you well to... Find the prayers in the Bible, and they are many. They are very many. Uh, find the prayers in the Bible and learn to emulate those prayers. Uh, we've learned to do this with the Psalms. Uh, if you've been with us any length of time, uh, you've learned to do that. Uh, if, if, and then as you move on from the Psalms, I think the best next step is to emulate other uh, prayers of the Bible. Uh, but that's really what this is. He, he shares with us his prayer for Ephesus and then breaks out in verse 20 and 21 uh, with a technical word, the doc, a doxology. Uh, but it's a praise. It's a glory. It's a song. It's a shout of victory that he breaks into in chapter, or excuse me, in verse 20 and verse 21. Uh, and, and the word of God is full of uh, men who spake as they were moved, and as they were moved, they broke out into uh, uh, doxology, or glory, or song, or praise. And that's what uh, those two verses are. I was <coughs> contemplating whether to move straight into James, but uh, I have found uh, that I enjoy a lot. Of, I don't uh, take a, uh, a holiday message every holiday that comes through, uh, but I have made it custom and think it's uh, a good intention uh, that we take the first Sunday of the year uh, and kind of be a little bit uh, differently directed or purposeful with that Sunday. Uh, and I think it's good for you uh, that you would take uh, the new year and be purposeful and be directional. Uh, those that are far more collected than I am and men that you might would want to emulate uh, their, their lives, the pattern of their lives, the success of their lives. Uh, they tend to be men that do reflect and project, uh, not, not just yearly, uh, but monthly or weekly or even daily uh, on the day, what God has done in the day, what God has accomplished in the day, what God has called for in the day, and what does God hold for the next day. And I think it's good for us uh, that we would do the same thing. And I want to bring uh, to you as individuals, but of course our church is made of individuals. Uh, so for, for me to present this to the church, uh, it doesn't do any good if we at an individual level don't get on board. And so I present it to a, you at an individual level with the hopes, and when I say hope, like, well, I hope this works. No, I'm with the hope from God that if you will... Uh, attack this on the individual level, it will bear fruit in our corporate level or in our congregational level. We too easily forget, I believe, and I want you to know, I want you to know, whether you're here this morning or at home listening, I want you to know that you have an impact 
on this church. There's not a person here who does not have some kind of impact on this church. And I say that to you to share with you a certain weight of responsibility in that. There's a certain weight of responsibility that each individual shares an impact on this church. The church is no different from anything else in that you can be a positive impact or you can be a negative impact. Thankfully, as the pastor, I'm always a positive impact, right? All God's people said, where's Shanna? None of us are always a positive impact. Right? Sometimes we're a negative impact. Sometimes when we don't intend to be, we can have a negative impact. I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself here, but I want you to reflect a little bit on your direction. On your direction. What is the direction of your impact on this group of believers. And no, I hope we all understand that your impact on this group of believers is directly correlated to the directional walk you have with Christ. Because as much as is within me, and I, I love the study that we've been doing on, on Sunday night and then Wednesday night as we go through our Sunday school curriculum, is that without Him we can do nothing. Without the Holy Spirit indwelling in us and working through us, we can do nothing positive. I'll put it that way. <laughs> we can make a lot of negative impact with all the right intentions if we are not filled and guided and taught by the Holy Spirit through His Word. I don't know why. I feel like the tone of the service has gone downhill. Let's, let's turn it back uphill. <laughs> I want... I want you to know we serve a God who is able to do more. I hate that I'm a crying preacher. I want to be a shouting preacher. I want to kick a mic stand over and say, we serve a God who can do more. Because we do. Maybe we'll get there. Y'all help me. This, as I said, a time of reflection in order to project direction. A time of reflection in order that we can project direction direction right whether you're shooting a gun driving a car tossing a ball you want to do it with direction you want to do it with purpose and intention and so I want this morning for us to reflect upon the word of God reflect it congregationally but it's got to reach the individual. 
It's got to reach the individual. No one, please, shut me out this morning. I'm begging you to reflect on your walk with Christ in order that you might project your direction. Now, if if we're being totally honest, there are some in this room that as they reflect, they would have to project a downward direction, a wayward direction. Be honest with yourself this morning. Some might, and I hope and I pray, are able to deflect a direction towards Christ, a closeness towards Christ. And maybe this message, the Holy Spirit, God wants to use the Holy Spirit through His Word to speak to your heart to help provide you some direction about how you're going to continue to grow in Christ, continue to walk in Christ. With the men, we broke up into uh, groups and I encouraged them at one of the men's prayer breakfasts that they intentionally decide and take part and hold one another, account- one another accountable in the spiritual disciplines. Spiritual disciplines of, of reading your Bible, of prayer, of personal devotion time, of leading your family in the Word. Maybe the spiritual discipline of giving through the church, or maybe there's another individual God's laid on your heart. Maybe the the spiritual discipline of being intentionally loving and kind to your enemies. The list of spiritual disciplines... What does God looking for you to grow in? Maybe if you'll pray and follow, put yourself in the position and follow the process for the right purpose. (laughs) There's your three-point outline. Position, process, purpose. You'll find direction from God. I do want to say collectively that God has been good to us through 2020. That's absolute. God has been so good to our church body. As a pastor, I'm always balanced between being thankful for the weekly congregation in unity and worship and thanksgiving and the teaching of the word. I'm balanced between being joyous and grateful for that and not just settling into the mundane and status quo of that either. Are you with me? You understand? But God has absolutely been good to us. Protected us from sickness. Provided for us financially. He's added to the congregation. I believe that we've served well in continuing services. As I said, I don't want to ever take that lightly or think that we're... I don't want to take that lightly. I don't want to think that's our whole job. Meeting needs across the globe, sending money as we have to Mexico and to the Philippines. Expanding into online worship and outreach. I was talking to somebody yesterday. You know, we kind of had ideas coming into 2020, you know. We did this last year and none of it happened. So why are we doing it again? Because we hope that we're going to do 
right? We're going to stick closer to the plan this year. But I can tell you the plan I have for you today is not going to, nothing can thwart it, okay? But we had plans coming into the year. They got all mixed up. And some part of me looks at that and goes, man. But then others of you have pointed out how God has redirected us, how God has used us, how God has opened up doors that we didn't intend to walk through, opened up doors that we didn't expect. We're ministering, I pray, even right now, and we'll continue to minister through those doors, meet people with Christ through those doors. However, the burden of the message this morning is that God is able to do more. So much more. And it's not just a burden, it is a joy. It is a comfort. It is an excitement that God is able to do more. Are you excited that God is able to do more? Or are you a little bit reserved and troubled that God might want to do more? I mean, we just looked at it last week when the wise men came to Jerusalem and said, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? Herod was troubled and all Jerusalem with, with him. They didn't look at it and go, the king of the Jews is born? This is fantastic. They said, oh no, what, what is this? What's going on? Oh, this isn't good. God is able to do more, and I believe we have a proof of promise that God is desiring to do more for Greenway Park Baptist Church, but for you. And God's not going to be able to do more for Greenway Park Baptist Church if you and I as individuals do not position ourselves to allow him to do what he would like to do, to do what he would do. The Bible is clear that God is willing to seek and to save, that God is wanting to search out and reach, that God is wanting to indwell and fill and overflow and use Every believer in such a way that goes out into the world and permeates society so that all men would turn to him. But the conductor of the electricity sometimes is frail and weak. But he's able to do more. And he's desirous to do more. And he has given us everything that we need to allow him to do more through us. The message this morning is that God would do some incredible, magnificent, awe-inspiring things for Himself through us. And when God does incredible things for Himself through us, that's the best thing in the whole world we could ever hope for Him to do for us. Look at verse 20. There's proof in the promise. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that you could ever ask or even think. Is there any limiters on that? Are there any limiters on that sentence? Could anybody add a word to that phrase to make it any more exorbitant? Absolutely not. Exceedingly, abundantly, above all that you could ask or even think. 
God is able to do unfathomably more than you can even imagine Him doing. He's able to do that. And I believe He's desirous to do that. Paul, as I said, verse 20 and 21, is a praise, is a song, is a doxology. Oh, to Him who's able to do abundantly, uh, exceedingly above all that we could ask or think. According to the power that works in us, to Him be glory in the church by Jesus Christ to all generations forever and ever. Amen. He's shouting with joy because it's not just a promise of God's ability. It's a promise of His desire. Catch that if you would. You could read verse 20 and 21 and think, oh wow, God is able, but... Does he really want to? God is able. We know he's able. That's fine. It's not going to do anything for you emotionally. It's not going to do anything for your taste buds to draw, him, draw yourself to him if you have a knowledge that he's able, but you don't understand his concern and desire to do it for you. That's why Paul is excited. That's why Paul is praising God. We consider Paul to be one of the greatest missionaries that ever lived. And he says, I bow on my knees and I pray to God and I recognize that he's able to do more. And that excites Paul. I've shared with you before, maybe not all of you, but one of the biggest things that brought me into the ministry was the recognition from God that apart from serving Him, my life is pointless. And I don't mean that you all need to start a church somewhere. That would really be bad for our church. I, think, I hope you know that. That's what God wanted for me. Now I've not arrived. Continue. Continue in this. It's not as though, oh, well, good. I'm the pastor of Grand Park Baptist Church and I got it all figured out and it's done. No. Daily, every day, more and more, God is wanting to do. If nothing else, can the dawn of a new year be a recognition in your life that everything you do apart from Christ is pointless? Holds no value. It will soon be forgotten as time decays and destroys all things. The joys, the things that made you so happy in days gone by are long past in your garbage. The luxuries and the pleasures, and the time and the vacations and things heaped upon ourselves, I can't even remember them. You know, I've been on vacations, I can't even remember going on. 
at the time, the most important thing to me. At the time, I just... What point? What value? I'm not saying you can never take a vacation. There's points and reasons. There's eternal value, right? You can spend time with your family and lead them according to God's direction and invest in their lives. And I'm not, don't get me wrong. But it's way too easy to do all the things that we have to do and all the things that we want to do and all the things that we get to do and never include Christ. The source of the power, and this is from verse 20, He is able to do. The source of the power is God. The Bible does not say that you are able to do greater things than you could even think. It doesn't say you're able to do greater things than you could even imagine. It says He is able to do. We're moving into position here. In some ways, keep this in your mind for when we get to that point. But part of your positioning is the understanding that He is able. He's able, He's able, I know He's able. And I, without Him, not able to do jack squat. I just made that last part up. (laughs) Maybe that's how we ought to sing it. He is able. But look at the end of verse 20. According to the power that works in us. He's able according to the power that works in us. Don't be so interested in God working for us that we forget that His desire and His plan and His process is for Him to work in us. He is able to do astronomical things that we can't even imagine in relation to. In relation to or according to the power that works in us. Some some things, I don't want to get mathematical on you, some things are directly correlated. Right? Some things are relationally correlated. Does anybody know the difference? When things are relationally correlated, there can be a multiplier on it or a divider on it. So that every one step I take, the relationship is I take one step and God takes four. Are you with me? I'm not able to do abundantly above what you could imagine. God is able, by His power, relationally according to how we are willing to submit and walk with Him. Don't forget, there were cities in which Jesus did not do many miracles because of their unbelief. Don't forget that James tells us that you do not have because you do not ask. Or you do not have because you ask for all the wrong things. To try to satisfy your flesh. And satisfy your lust. If we would but ask, if we would but believe... God would do some incredible multiplying steps in relationship to the, to the little things, the small things that He asks of us. 
Because that's how good and great God is. I have in my mind all kinds of things that are probably not helpful about mechanical advantage, right? And things of this nature, right? Why we use income planes and pulleys and screws and all that stuff. None of those illustrations are necessary. Understand, as you do a little bit, God will do so much more. And as you see God do more and reward you above and beyond what you deserve, you're encouraged and you're drawn to do a little bit more. And then God, seeing that, will reward more. Now, it's not always instantaneous. And it may not be in the direction that we desire. We're going to get into the process here of faith. If I'll quit preaching and get back to my outline, we'll get to that, I promise. He's the source We are the conductor. The question is a question of desire. Before we move any further, how badly do you desire to take hold of this promise? What is your desire? What is your priority? How immediately do you need this promise fulfilled in your life? I went to the dentist about a month and a half ago. Complaining with some soreness in my teeth up here. And the question was asked about three times. How long has it been hurting you? And I felt like such an idiot when I had to give the answer. Oh, about six months. Why would you put up with pain in your mouth for six months? Why would you do that? I've already given you the answer because I'm an idiot. That's how we do. That's how we live. We're willing to put up with a little bit of pain in our mouth for six months. Instead of going and getting it fixed. Put up with that pain for about six months. I remember the day several years ago where one of my unnamed children kicked another one of my unnamed children in the hand and broke it. And we looked at it said, oh, you're fine. And we watched him as he held it for the next several hours and acted like a sissy until we finally decided we might need to get this looked at. And in the course of about three hours, we went and got his hand looked at because he couldn't function without his hand. You've got six months to a couple of hours with a hand. And then I remember the day that I stood right here and Lindsay, who's not with us as she's quarantined, comes running up the aisle going, Aaron, uh, Shanna's water broke. And I said, Dad, you got it. And I got in the car and I left because it was an instant need. Where on the spectrum is your concern over your need of this promise? Like the dentist asked me, and I shuddered to answer, how long have you been walking away from God? How long have you been walking by status quo? Maybe, maybe I'm up, maybe I'm down, maybe I'm not paying attention. And how important it is you that you get hot for God again. 
How important is it for you to, to start, to get in the position, to go through the process, to receive the promise for God's purpose? How desirous are you on this first Sunday of the new year to change your direction? That question must be answered. I hope, I pray that on some level, you're not looking to me. You're ready for me to get into the Word. To show you what God says. Because you are there with a broken hand. Ready to get fixed. Ready to get it right. There is a position you need to get into. It's a position you need to get into. Verse 14. For this reason, I bow my knees. You want to know what the reason is? The reason is what's to come. You know, sometimes he says for this reason, you've got to look back. Is he talking about something he's already said because of what I just said? I bow my knee or because of what it is? He says, no, for the reason that I'm getting ready to tell you about, I bow my knee. The context is what we're looking into here. I want to receive the promise of Him who wants to do and is able to do more than I can even imagine through me. How am I going to start? For this reason, I bow my knees. I hope you can recognize this as a prayerful position. A prayerful position. I think it would do you well to learn to bow your knees and pray. I think it would do you well to learn to place your body in a subjective position before God who sees you and cry out to Him aloud. I don't think and I don't teach that you have to do that to pray. But if you haven't been there in prayer in quite some time, if you're unwilling to go there in prayer, if you've never experienced that prayerful position, I want to encourage you, bow the knee. Sometimes as physical human beings, we need a physical jump start. Are you going to do it or not? Are you going to do it? Bow the knee. It's a prayerful position. Charles Spurgeon has his daily devotional morning and evening, which I would highly recommend to anybody. I have it digitally on here. He's January 2nd, not January 1st, but January 2nd, he, ha- he used the verse, continue in prayer, Colossians 4, 2. That was it. Continue in prayer. I want to read for you here, if I can, what he has to say about prayer. So deep are our necessities, That until we are in heaven, we must not cease to pray. Do you want nothing? Then I fear you don't know your own poverty. Have you no mercy to ask God of? Then may the Lord's mercy show you your misery. A prayerless soul is a Christless soul soul. Prayer is the lisping of the believing infant, the shout of the fighting believer, the requiem of the dying saint falling asleep 
in Jesus. It is the breath, the watch word, the comfort, the strength, the honor of a Christian. If thou be a child of God, thou wilt seek thy Father's face and live in thy Father's love. If your prayer life is broken, your relationship with Christ is broken. Don't try to defend it. Don't try to say, oh, no, no. Don't. If your prayer life is broken, your relationship with God is broken. You may not think it's broken. You may not sense that it's broken. You may be like the oblivious husband who thinks everything is fine until his wife says something that blows you out of the water. What? I thought we were fine. I thought we were okay. What are you talking about? Honey, babe, sugar. I'm here to tell you that God is very displeased with your relationship with Him if you have no prayer life with Him. He's broken over it. He's grieved by it. And He's hindered from working in your life because of it. So it's a prayerful position, but of course it's submissive position. I need to speed my delivery. But you see, He is the Father, the Lord. It is the name from whom the whole family... The whole family, in heaven and earth, the whole family, we're under the name of Jesus. I love that. I've expressed that to you before. I want to do it quickly. You go to a foreign country, people with a different tongue that never met you, never heard of you, but you have in common the same Father, the same Lord, the same name, Jesus. And there's a kindredness there. And it's there for all the family of God here on earth and up in heaven. And as we move from one place to another and we move ourselves, or we get moved, excuse me, from one group, those on earth, to those in heaven, we fall under the same name. And if you're going to accomplish anything as a church, anything for Christ, of course it has to be by that name. Right? How dare we try to do anything under any name other than the name of Jesus? He is, it is His name over the whole family. So there's a position. Get in the position. But then there's a process leading to the promise. We've covered the promise in verse 20. He is able to do more than you can imagine in you. And we know that He desires it because we joy in it. So there's a process leading up to the promise. Firstly, verse 16, he says, I bow my knees so that he would grant according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man. The process, he strengthens you through his spirit. Now how does the Holy Spirit of God do that? By battling sin along with us. 
You know, there's only one way to get strong. There's only one way for you to get strong. You've got to put the right things into your body. And you've got to exercise your body. Now when you were 18, you didn't have to do either of those things for whatever reason. I was chiseled out of granite at 18. Just ask me. Don't look at pictures. I wasn't, but I, I've watched an 18-year-old boy fill his mouth with junk food and watched his shoulders and arms and chest just grow as he did it. It was amazing. Not so for us. <laughs> if you're going to become stronger, you're going to have to work out. If you're going to be stronger, if you're going to be strengthened in the inner man by the Spirit, you're going to have to join in the battle of strengthening yourself, namely against sin. The process is moving towards the indwelling of God, but what communion hath light with darkness? None at all. When we cling to our sin, God doesn't hear our prayers, and we grieve the Holy Spirit. So there's a battle that is to be fought. If you're not fighting the battle, you're losing the battle. Believe me. If you're not fighting the battle, you're losing the battle. If the devil is comfortable with where you are as a child of God, he's not bringing a battle to your front door. So if you're not battling, know that he's pleased with where you sit. God doesn't just watch us in the battle and press us in the battle and command us through the battle, but the Holy Spirit is given to us if we'll bow the knee to strengthen us in the battle against sin. Because you can't do it on your own. You can't do it on your own. God could do it, but He's not going to overcome your will and just snap, fix you this side of eternity. He's not going to do it. He could. I'm not saying He couldn't. But no, He's not going to. He's promised that. What he has promised is that if you'll take up the fight upon his encouragement, upon his drawing, upon his offering of incredible promises and rewards for doing so, then he will come in like a Calvary with his Holy Spirit and he will help you do it. Without him, you can't accomplish it. But with him, there's no temptation taking you, but as such is common to man. And he will, with the temptation, give you a way to escape it. That's a great verse of Scripture. He will strengthen you. There's a process, because we, we, going back, we desire an instantaneous, Lord, I prayed this morning, why didn't I do something magnificent? Why didn't I see you do something magnificent? Why did I still get mad at my wife? Why did I still have trouble with my boss? Why did I still, blah, 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 blah. There's a process. Strengthening. And no, 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 know it, know it. Sometimes I forget and I get tricked and I think lifting weights is going to be fun. 
It's not. I hate it. And every time I get under one of those weights and I'm pushing it over my head and I pick, pick things up and put them down, I, I begin to question and doubt myself, why in the world am I doing this? I forgot. This is terrible. Some of you crazy people enjoy it. I understand that. No, don't forget. Know that the battle will not be easy or all that enjoyable. But it will be for your good, and it is a part of a perfecting, completing process. I've got to move quicker. 17. He will dwell in you through faith. He'll strengthen you through His Spirit. He'll dwell in you through faith. That Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. So you see where 16 leads into 17. The Spirit, you'll be strengthened with might through His Spirit in the inner man. Strengthen the might to do what? Battle sin in the flesh. That, step two, Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Faith is built upon the knowledge of the love of God. That Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend. So, Catch this first. Your faith is built upon the knowledge of the love of God. I'm going to go ahead and read my second point. Faith is when you know something is true. And you are willing to act on that truth. Even if at the time you do not see it or feel it. There's a knowledge that is necessary. I'm on a three-day, oh, I'm on a three-day refresh. That just isn't all that refreshing. I literally thought to myself last night, if I don't eat a cheeseburger, I'm not going to be able to preach in the morning. This has got to happen. I've got to, I've got to hit biscuit bill in the morning for a sausage and egg biscuit, maybe chicken and egg. If I'm going to have any energy, any strength, any wits about me to even... Conduct a service, church. That's what I felt. We feel that way. But in knowledge, I go, no, stick to the plan. Don't eat the junk. Your body thinks you need the junk. Your mind thinks you need the junk. You don't need the junk. Know it. Act on it. No matter what you feel right now. Faith in the process. God says, in the battle against sin, in the knowledge of my love, you may not see it or feel it. You may think, I, I, gotta, I gotta take part in this junk food, sin, distraction. I need this. This is what I need. I just need a break. I just need a rest. God says, no, stick with the plan. Don't forget to trust in me. Know that I love you. Know that this process is good for you. Know that in the end, this will reap rewards that you can't imagine. Know it. Act on it, whether you see it or feel it. That's faith. Verse 19, He will cause you to experience His love. There is a process you can't jump to three. We all want to jump to three. 
We all just want to hold hands and sing Kumbaya and just jump the three. Lord, I just want to feel your love. My fear is that churches are full of individuals who just want to feel God's love. But they're unwilling to submit themselves to the position and the process. The love of God is greater far than tongue or pen could ever tell. But an emotional instant is not the same as the experiential love of God. The knowledge of God from His Word is not the same as the experiential love of God. There's two things in this section that are indescribable. There's two things in these sections. That Paul wishes he had heavenly words that he could share with us that would help us to know something better or greater than he can describe. It's here in verse 19, to know the love of Christ. We already talked about the other one, who was able to do exceedingly abundantly above what you can imagine. No words to describe that. Verse 19, to know the love of Christ was passes knowledge. How do you know something that passes knowledge? Because he's talking about more than just knowing it. He's talking about more than just a faith knowing it and expecting it. He's talking about an experience of it. A knowledge that passes knowledge. You may be filled with the fullness of God, that you may experience His love to the full, that you may know the height and depth and width and breadth of God's love for you. I want to testify that I've been there. I've been there. I know I'm saved because I've been in the fullness of the love of God. That experiential fullness that strengthens my faith for those days when I'm not there. You're not going to be there every day. And as silly as it sounds to your sober mind, when you're not there that day, you'll think, what happened? Did God go away? Is God not real anymore? Is God unable? Is God not willing? What happened? I think I accidentally, I did, I hit my button. The culmination, and get this, verse 20, here's the promise. God is able to do astronomical things through us. How is he going to do that? When we bow the knee, submit ourselves to him in prayer, he begins to eradicate sin by his spirit. He begins to fill us and dwell with us by faith. We dive into the indescribable depths of his love, and that love overflows us to connect and reach those that are around us. Now hearing the position and the process, how many of you think that you can fake it? Mm. You can't fake it. You can't fake the real thing. I don't want us to try to fake the real thing. I 
I don't want us to try to fake it. I don't want us to try to convince people or, or, or trick people, of course, but I don't want to try to draw them by my power, by my intelligence, my charisma, my friendship. My, I don't want to do that. I want God to draw them by His purposes through us because we are overflowing with the love of God that doesn't come first. It comes through a process. So there's a process and there's a purpose. Look at the purpose. Verse 21. To Him be glory. To Him be glory. I don't want to do all those things for my glory or for Greenway Park's glory. So that people will say, Greenway Park's got it all together. Greenway Park, they got a lot of people over there. Greenway Park, they got the best music. Greenway Park, they got the most handsome preacher. I don't want that. Why are you laughing? These are things that people might would say. I don't want that. Right? I want it to be to God's glory. I don't know why it's not my, but I can't help think, but John the Baptist. When, his, when John the Baptist's disciples said to John the Baptist, John, a bunch of people are leaving you going after Jesus. He said, good. To God be the glory. Right? Not for our glory, but for God's glory. How God decides to use this place is completely up to Him. I've been asked several occasions, what's your vision for the church? My vision for the church, my prayer for the church, is that we stay open to God's direction every week. Every day. Every week. That nothing ever steps into our minds that would make us think that our plan is better than His. That would make us think that whatever we might decide because of worldly wisdom is better than just following what God wants us to do. Because it's His church. It's not my church. It's not your church. It's His church. He gets the glory. The purpose is for Him to get the glory. Our ultimate purpose for living and therefore the fulfillment of our lives is for Him to receive glory. I talked a lot at the very beginning about purposelessness. I want you to have a holy fear of purposelessness with the knowledge that the only thing that will bring you purpose and fulfillment is to glorify God in your life. And I promise, based on God's promise, that if that is the desire of your heart, through your humble submission to, to Him, and through His time and process, He'll show you exactly how He wants you to do that. And then you have fullness of God. Then you have 
fulfillment and satisfaction and joy and peace that only Christ can give. How bad do you want it? Glory to God in His church. To Him be glory in the church. Well, that's interesting. You would think that you wouldn't have to put that. To Him be glory in the church. Right? I'm so out of touch with pop culture, I don't even know what reference to use, but to, to LeBron James be glory on the basketball court. Right? To... Who's a rock star that's not going to get me in trouble for just naming from the pulpit? Be the glory in the auditorium. Right? But God help us if God's not the one that is to be gloried in His church. Right? This was from John Piper. I'll give you this and move to the next point. He describes the church as a sufficiently... And when he talks about the church, he's not talking about the church. He's talking about the, the church. A sufficiently diversified yet unified system of mirrors with which to reflect the glory of His many-sided wisdom to the universe. And we are a part of that. We are a part of that. The church of God is very diverse. All over the world, all over the country, all over the county. We can't be all things and worship in all ways. But we can worship all ways, in the ways, and in the avenues, reaching folks where and when and how God has called us to reach them reflecting His glory by Jesus Christ. He is the star. He's the star of the show, if you will. He is the light source. You take a flashlight, there's one light source and a flashlight. But if you know anything about a flashlight, a good flashlight, you can manipulate the mirrors to shine that light differently as needed. Right? More intense, more directional. Maybe more broad. But however God uses us to reflect the light, He is the light. If, if we were a car, He'd be the engine. If we were a hospital, He's the surgeon. To Him be the glory. And He concludes by saying forever and ever. This alludes back to the purpose, purposeless. All glory is fading except for God's. To what or whom can He be compared? To what can you compare God's glory? You laugh out loud when I name an athlete. Or singers. Or politicians. Or kings. Or governments. Gone by. Because nothing compares to God. Nothing compares to Christ. What is the greatest purpose in the world that we can serve. That we can glorify. That we can draw others to the one eternal being who deserves all glory. He is so great. He is so powerful. He is so sovereign. And He is so good. In that He sent His Son to die on the cross to defeat 
death and sin and Satan and hell for you and me. What can be better than that? He wants to do more. If our church, under His name, will humbly pray, strengthened by His Spirit, living by faith, overflowing with the love of God, then God will do greater things than we can imagine in this church for His eternal glory. Make that your prayer for Greenway Park Baptist Church. Will you do that for your pastor? Grab this verse, mark it, highlight it, these verses. Write this down. Make this a prayer for your life. Do that for you. It's okay to seek God selfishly. Did you know that? Because what God wants to give you, all that He is. Do it for you. He's laid out all these promises so that we will be enticed to seek Him. Not as though He is hiding, but there are all kinds of things that try to jump in our way if we'll just bow our knee, humbly pray, go to battle against sin, walk by faith without turning to the right or to the left, we can experience the overflowing love, overflowing to others, as God does through us, because of what He's done in us, things we cannot imagine for His glory. Let's all stand, heads bowed and eyes closed.